Would you open your Bibles tonight to the book of Proverbs chapter 14, please? Proverbs 14 and Proverbs 16. Those two chapters. Proverbs 14, verse 12, and chapter 16 and verse 25. Now, we're still talking about the fatal series. We've been talking about a lot of things that you want to be aware of in this life that have fatal results. You don't want to be caught unawares in this world. You remember the Bible teaches that? A lot of people will be caught unawares. It's not like they weren't warned. They just didn't pay attention to the warning. And that's too much of that goes on. And uh, I think that's one of the reasons that Peter wrote in his epistle, I'm not telling you something you don't know or not saying something you haven't heard, but I'm telling you that because I want you to keep remembering, keep this on your mind, that God is saying things to us that we need to hear. If he keeps repeating it, it means not everybody's got there yet. There's a real danger in this world of going to sleep, of allowing yourself to drift along and not take serious the things that God is saying and just assume on God that because you've come this far, because you go to church meetings, because, 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 you'll be all right. It'll work out. It's all right. It's okay. And while you hope that's true, that's not always true. Proverbs 14, verse 12. I think this is familiar to all of you. There is a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And in chapter 16, it says it this way, Proverbs 16 and verse 25. There is a way that seemeth right unto men, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Well, that's the same thing twice, isn't it? Then I would say it has significance, wouldn't you? Because what it's saying is, there is a way that is right as far as you're concerned. It's good in your own eyes, and you got a pretty good crowd following. I mean, what's wrong with it? But here's the deal. Here's the truth. If it's not as God wants it to be, no matter how good it seems to be, it ends in death. That is fatal. And if you're a part of that, if you're following something that seems right, but not something necessarily that the Bible promotes, but it's good and a lot of people do it. Good people, nice people, kind people, granny people, and Uncle John people. If it's not what God said, even though you're really devoted to it, it's death. Now that makes Christianity pretty narrow as far as I'm concerned. Tonight, I want to hook the word fatal with the word religion. Because there is a religion, an idea of worship of God, of deity, of something. There is a religious structure that a lot of people follow. And the end of that is death. The consequences of following something that's not of God is death. And you hear people say all the time, you know, even though everybody is in some way religious, almost everybody, you hear these kind of statements, people reach this conclusion. Well, you know, they're all the same. All religions are the same. You know, we're all going to the same place. I mean, they're all about Jesus and, and you know, the cross and the grave and they're all the same. One's not better than the other. They're all alike. And by that, they mean in the observation of their life, how they have looked at Christianity as it's unfolded before them from childhood up to the time they say that, 
they see no distinction from one group to the other because not what people are taught or what the church supposedly believes, they have looked at Christians' lives and this group is no different from this group or this group or this group. They all have the same problems, they all act the same way. They don't get along with each other. They divorce their wife just as, or their husband, they have divorces as much as the world does. They fight and separate and fume and won't speak to each other. They go to court with each other or get in trouble with each other. They holler and cuss at ball games. They drink and carouse just like people in the world do. So as far as this person is concerned, I just don't think it's a great big deal. I don't think it's a big deal. You know, the Christianity is Christianity in what form you want. Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, Catholic, Episcopalian, Church of God, Christian Church, Lutheran. They're all going to the same place. But now the Bible doesn't say that. And the Bible makes a big distinction between the way of man or the way of men and the way of God. Like our two verses here in Proverbs says, you know, there is a way that seems right. There is enough Christian flavor in it. There's enough Christian activity, quoting of the Bible, retreats, meetings, Sunday schools. There's enough of Christianity involved in what people are doing. What's wrong with that? That they neglect to look at the other things that may be going on about, you know, about how people act. They have the political wing of that church that's involved in voting and soliciting votes or registration and look at all the holiday stuff that they promote also, even Halloween. I still remember well the night when I driving into Naples and there was that huge, big premillennial fundamental Baptist church, one of the big us only type churches. And there they were advertising the biggest haunted house in Indianapolis. I mean, they were really proud. They had the best scary ghosts and demons in the whole city to scare your children into nightmares. And I'm driving by thinking now, I'm not a mental giant. I, neither do I want to be. And I'm not a spiritual giant. I like to be. But I think, you know, as little bit as I've learned in the last, that would have been in 1970, in the last seven or eight years I've been a Christian, it didn't take me long to realize that that's demonic. Boy, they preach the Bible where it says in the back, genuine leather. It is. And the holy word of God, and they preach and they demand. But everything else, when you get involved in that, these little tentacles about all this other stuff reaches out and grabs you, and it begins to bring you into a kind of bondage you don't even recognize. It's just your life never seems to get going. Something's got a hold of you. And I would say this, it really does matter whether or not you go to that church or not. It really does matter if you're a member of that church. It's like people who promote political parties, the Democratic Party, for example. Why would you want to be associated with a group that believes in killing babies? I'm just saying that's public record. They're the ones that vote for it. Why would you want to be aligned with that? You're a member of that. Why would you do that? Well, our church, then you really shouldn't be there. Now, there's a way that seemeth right why does it seem, well, let's look at how many people do it. I mean, these are not bad people. We're just a 
big happy family. Do you think it's right because a lot of people do it? I mean, I'm talking what I would say God would probably ask you. Do you think it's right because a lot of people are involved in it? You think it's right because people are happy while they're involved in it? That's not the way it works. Christianity, as the Bible says, there is a way that seemeth right. But if it's not right, and you throw in with it, it issues in death. That's the consequences of ignoring what God said in his word and taking some man's word for everything. Because man will make you feel happy. Man will make you comfortable, and God will never leave you alone. You can leave man, but you can't leave God, because if you leave God, you're dead. So, again, I'm not trying to make any of this hard. I'm just saying that this is the way it is, that people in the world who have these ideas of what is good, they just don't see Christians as any different than anybody else. In fact, they measure Christianity by how these people act. They really do go to the same doctor, even the ones that preach healing. They go to the same doctors. They have the same problems. They yell at each other the same way people in the world do. You don't have to be a Christian to do that. They run around on their wives. They don't father their children well either. Whatever goes on in that church hasn't made them any different than me. So they say, they come to this conclusion about Christianity. Well, they're all the same. There's not any difference from one to the other one. So here's the danger. Here's where it becomes fatal. Here's a man, maybe he's 15. Young man, maybe he's 25 or lady. And you grow up and you realize now that you're not a kid anymore. You're facing the world on your own now. Do what you want to do. You make this fatal decision. You think, you know, the world, Christianity, I'm not going to get bogged down in that stuff because I have seen nothing but hypocrisy and foolishness come out of it. But I'm going to have my opinion about it, and this is the way I see it. And you know what? I think my opinion is as good as anybody else's. And as long as a man approves of what he believes, as long as you're sitting out there thinking, look, I know what I believe, and nobody's going to tell me what to believe. As long as you are set in your ways apart from God, you'll never repent because you have no reason to. You'll never repent. You got to have conviction to repent. Conviction is usually preceded by guilt. That is, God says one thing, but you say something else. And you and God are at odds with each other. And he lovingly grants you repentance. He doesn't have to. You can't come to him without it. You can't just decide to come to him. You don't choose him. He chooses you. And the way he does, he grants you a broken heart, godly sorrow, so that you can bow your heart to him and he can receive you and plant you in his garden. I mean, that's the way it works. But if you think you got your own version, it's as good as anybody else's. And, you know, I don't think I need all that stuff. Like that high school principal told me one time, I think if you go to church regularly and you pay your taxes and you do social things and, and you're just generally a nice, kind person in the community, I, to him, to him, he's going to heaven. And of course, I about got fired in the office that day. I said, well, then Jesus Christ was a fool. He looked at me like, what? You don't need Jesus. Well, our conversation was quickly over, but I was talking fast. I said this. I said, well, then you, you don't need Jesus. He died for nothing because you can make it without him. He didn't factor into the needs of Mr. Reese's life. The way he had it figured out was a way of death. 
It seems good. His philosophy of how we ought to live our life. There's a way that seemeth right, the way he had it figured out. A lot of people would say, well, yeah, what's wrong with that? Well, it's not exactly the way God said it. Well, here now, you're going to get legalistic. Whatever people can say to dismiss themselves from having to listen to you anymore. That's the way they do it. Turn to Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 2, because this is what happens to the guy I've just described. In verse 2, every way of a man is right in his own eyes. God ponders the hearts, he says. Now, I'm going to ask you a question in this meeting tonight. How many of you are like that? If I said to you, how many of you truly are still teachable? How many of you still have a desire to learn, not just a way that looks good, but to learn the exact precise way. I don't hold your hand up. I don't want a show of hands. Let me just ask it again, but don't show your hands, okay? How many of you have a desire to know exactly the right way with nothing added to it and nothing else? Just the right way to God, and I want that more than anything else. I don't think I have all of that yet, but I want that. Because, see, if you don't want that, you don't seek that. And what that indicates sometimes for a lot of people just like us is that we've come a long way from where we were. And so the, the zeal and the hunger for more kind of gives way to the we're doing pretty good. A lot of people just find themselves lulling to sleep because I've got quite a bit. I've got more than other people have. That doesn't mean you have it right. The reason the church is a teaching institution, Acts 2, didn't it say in Acts 2 that the apostles went about, they assembled together, they had fellowship, and they taught doctrine? The reason they did that is because we can't devise a way that's good and God accept it. We are here to learn a way already devised for us, and we are to learn what that way is, and he sent his spirit to make that real to us. And whatever it is, true Christianity simply yields to that. We don't make any excuses for why we're not doing it, or why it's too hard. What if I told you that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, there's two gates in this world, in this life, two gates. One, it opens up to a wide way and anybody can walk in it. There's nothing you have to pay really attention to. It's just a great big path in life. It's where most everybody is. And he said, many will find this way. Because somebody will say, you know, Christianity is good. You're too tight with it. Look here, look here. God understands. And somebody will teach you to just take it. Relax, man, relax. Quit being so narrow. And Jesus said, it leads to death because the way that leads to life is, what's the N word, narrow? Is that still in the Bible? The way that leads to life is narrow and it really doesn't seem right to a lot of people. A lot of people don't seem right that God would ask us to live by the Sermon on the Mount. Oh, nobody can do that. So it doesn't seem right, so they don't do it. But the way that leads to life is a narrow gate and he said, and few there be that find it. Few. 
I wish I could say with a lot of others, boy, this ends going to be millions coming. But Jesus said the way that leads to life is so narrow. And so many people are so vulnerable and easy to talk out of what they believe. Only a few will find it. Not a lot, a few. The doors open wide, but not very many people really want to go that way because there's so many other ways that have so many good things to it. And there's a way that seemeth right. There are many ways that seem right. Let me say this again. There's only one way that is right. And every other way is wrong. See how exclusive we are? But it's not ours. It's his. Exclusivity belongs to God. He's the one who simply gives us grace. He's the one who gets our attention and reveals that's where his grace comes. He shows us the way that is right. When he also taps the heart and tugs on the heart and draws us to him, he begins to make this truth of his so real that you really do want it. You really do want it. And he also adds the flavor to his truth that once you taste and see that the Lord is good, you really do want more. And the more of truth you get in your life, working in your life, the easier it is to spot what's fatal. That's why we come out from among a lot of things that we used to be in because I cannot sit there and partake of that and be all right. I have to get away from that. A little leaven will leaven the whole lump. I'm talking about something narrow, something that people are offended by. You people are so narrow. We're not narrow. We were pretty broad. God is making us narrow because the way he has made us narrow and he's put in our heart to want that. Now, people are being talked out of that and it still seemeth right. They sing them over again to me, wonderful words of life, whatever the tune is. Amazing. I mean, they still go through all the moving parts of the meeting, and it seems right, and there's nothing wrong with that. But the effect of that thing really does turn them away from God. They really do develop a form of godliness, and they really do deny the power of it because somebody, by their own willingness for it to happen, somebody's talked them out of the truth. And once you're talked out of the truth and you give way to an anti-Christ spirit or in some ways a denominational spirit and they all have their own flavors, you get so deeply stuck in that thing that you get real offended when somebody tells you that you're wrong and not much you can do for people like that. I've dealt with a number of spirits in my life. Some are really difficult. And a denominational spirit is very hard. I mean, a person who is really steeped into it, who depends on it, counts on it, and that's it. Can't get those folks out. They're stuck. They're in bondage. And look in Proverbs 12 and verse 15. A man becomes a fool. Foolish. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. He seeks more. There's God will have somebody to give you better than what you've got if you'll look for it. So tonight, let me ask you the question. In what way is religion fatal? Well, our text is simple. It's an easy question to answer. 
religion is fatal because the form of it seems right. And your own worldly mind says, so what could be wrong with that? We can't go around judging everything all the time. We can't just go around finding fault all the time. Let's take the word judging and finding fault. Let's put them back in the dictionary. Let's use the word discerning. Is that okay? We can be discerning at all times. Because every day, be sober, be vigilant for your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. Paul wrote in Ephesians 4, don't give place to the devil, for he is constantly on the look, looking for that depressed soul, that angry soul, that embittered soul, that mad person. He's looking for that person who just drifts along. He's looking for whoever he can to strengthen that anti-Christ resistance. Looking for it. If he can find it, he'll do his wares, and you need to know that. But religion is fatal because it does two things. It misleads you. It doesn't deny the Bible. Christianity in all of its various denominational forms doesn't deny the Bible. They all use the Bible. The preacher usually quotes the Bible as a text verse, and he preaches from that verse. They don't deny the Bible. They use it. They sing hymns, the same ones that we often sing. I was sinking deep in sand, far from the crystal shore. I mean, they sing the same things. They go to meetings just like you go. They give money just like you give. They help people who have needs just like you do. They send people on missionary fields just like you do. And you feel very bad about ever reaching a verdict against other things that they may do in that church because you think, well, who am I to say that they're wrong about something? You are somebody that can say something is wrong about something. I don't go around telling people their faults. But when I see a fault, I want to avoid it. I see a lot of things I think are wrong. It's not my place to go tell somebody that they're wrong, maybe in some other church. People get involved in things I think they're wrong doing. It's not my job to go tell them unless I'm a pastor of that group. But they're just people who are allowed to do things. They drift along. They reject so much of the word because the preacher himself doesn't live it. And the church historically doesn't believe that. So they don't preach that. They eliminate that. And they deny the Lord that bought them in that part of the word. And they go on and everything seems to work fine. You know, the people are not real spiritual, but how could they be? The people are not real strong in the Lord, how could they be? Because the misleading influence of a little leaven, it just seems to water down more than just a little bit. It soaks in and begins to make you look at the Bible. This isn't exactly what they meant when they wrote it, because the preacher said the people who wrote this in the Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic text, it doesn't say it that way. And what it says is this, and therefore it doesn't mean what it says. So the person says, well... What else in there doesn't mean what it says? It's a spirit that begins to work on your mind. What else doesn't mean what it says? The preacher says something else, and you start questioning that. Who said we have to go win the lost? Maybe that's distorted. Who said that? Who said we had to have pastors in a church? There's a movement I know of in a, another part of the country where 
they think it's deceptive for the church to have a pastor. They just meet together. They have an elder man who they call the elder, and he just does counseling, but nobody leads. Nobody fellowships at the back of somebody's head. They sit in a big circle and just sit there like Quakers until somebody has something, and then they just move. Now, see, I believe God put in the church teaching ministries. Well, they would say, well, then whenever they get something to say, they'll stand up and tell us. What if four of them in there at the same time had something? Would it be like one of them political talk shows where they shout down each other and you can't tell what any of them are talking about? There has to be order. Somebody has to be in charge, answerable to people and answerable to God. Somebody has to do that. It doesn't mean it's the most perfect person in the world. Somebody has to do it. There has to be somebody who oversees the thing and makes sure that it works, that people are informed. You do all of that. And so there is just this business of being misled and deceived by man's doctrines and man's way of doing things. All this does is turn you away from God because you develop an idea that how you interpret this scripture or how you see it, and then you can just say this. You know, the Lord showed me something about that verse. It doesn't mean anything. Like this one I have heard. Well, you know that thing about the head covering in, uh, in Ezekiel? Or was it uh, over in Gordon chapter 6? Somewhere in the Bible, not 1 Corinthians 11, but I heard a guy say, well, that's an abomination to God for people to go around thinking they have to wear that. And they go through some little... Greek, English, something. And some soul is sitting there listening to all that, thinking, praise God, because I don't want to wear that thing anyway. <laughs> praise God. I don't want to thank you, Lord, because if you, Lord, told him that, he seemed like a pretty spiritual man, and then I'm just going to take him at his word. Now, if he's wrong, Lord, I'm innocent. And God says, can you read? Yeah. Well, then you better read before you follow any man. You better search the scripture yourself and see if that's true, because that might be wrong. Lord, he's got a degree. He's going to get a degree, too, third degree. I'm just saying, folks, that God has things to show us that are going to be rejected by the world. I've been saying this for a month, that things that are going to put you in a place of persecution and rejection, you're not going to be able to allow yourself to do a lot of things that other people do. You're going to find yourself separating yourself from things. Because when God's way becomes clear, there is no other way. He that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him, he said, it is sin. Now consider false religions, for example, falsehood, things that end in error. Some false religions are pretty obvious. You can go to Eastern religions, Hinduism and Buddhism and some of the other offshoots of those kind of things. It doesn't take but just a casual reading of some concise, you know, tightened up little story about that. You know what that is. That's nothing. Has nothing to do with God. Has nothing to do with Jesus Christ. It's just nothing. You can look at some of the more obvious ones that they mention Christ, like the Jehovah's Witnesses, or Mormons. I wouldn't say Christian Science because that's Christian ignorance. Christian science is because that's all immaterial. You're not sitting here, you just think you're sitting here. It's all a metaphysical stuff. 
Mormons. The only religion I have read a little bit about and studied a little bit about that's more foolish to me, more mixed up, whatever, than Mormons would be Catholicism. Mormons really do believe that God was once a human being and that you come to Godhood on this earth and if you get married in the temple, you have a temple marriage where you're sealed and then when you and your wife get out into eternity and you get your stars somewhere, that you start making babies out there, spirit babies. And these spirit babies are prepared out there so they can inhabit a body on this earth so they can go through the growth process and become gods themselves. I was thinking today about this, I think, you know, because they said Adam came from a star named Kolob. And I'm thinking, now what kind of a person would really try to convince themselves they came from a star? Do you have any idea how tough it'd be to live on a star? Our sun is a star, it's warm. It'd be tough to uh, get to sleep at night living on, on the star, on the sun. But nobody would ever ask that question because they, you know, they came from a star. We just think, well, they came from some planet that's going around a star. No, they said they came from a star. They get married here and they get them a planet out there in space somewhere, I guess. They have their own little world. They become a God and all this process takes place again. Jesus was just a man. He wasn't divine. In fact, they say Jesus and the devil were brothers. Well, it came from a very foolish man. It's a very foolish religion, but a lot of people follow it. And of course, the Jehovah's Witnesses, you know, there's a whole bunch of them. But they're all off about who Jesus is. They help families, they contribute this, they're big in this, and you hear about the Mormons and their promotion of family unity, and, and you see all these warm pictures of, well, I'm all for family unity. But the thing about it is, the rest of their religion will kill you. It'll kill you. You don't reach the end of your Mormon life and then the Almighty God greets you here when you have said His word isn't even true. They got the Doctrine of Covenants, they got the Book of Mormon, and they got the Pearl of Great Price, their other book, and they put them all on the same level as the Bible, and they said none of these are perfect, including the Bible. So really nothing is exact. How convenient is that? You don't have to believe anything specifically. Just be good. Do works, and you'll make it to heaven. Well, it doesn't take you long to look at some of those kind of things and realize this is crazy. Or look at Catholicism. Now, Catholicism may be a billion people in the world. If Catholicism is wrong in a billion people, that's 20% of this whole world, is headed for doomsday. We don't want to think that that could be so because there's so many of them, so we allow that to be a way that's as good as any other way. And my daddy and my brother were Catholic, so I can say this. You, you look at what they come to believe and what they count on in their life as being sufficient. They don't read the Bible. They don't study the Bible because they might get it wrong and then they'd be in trouble with one of their sins. Of course, they could buy some indulgences if they were well-to-do enough. You could buy some forgiveness. Or if somebody's dead and you got the money, you could help them get out of purgatory. Purgatory is where you, you know, wasn't good enough to go to heaven. You got to suffer in eternity a while. And then when your time is up, you get out and you go to heaven. I guess that means everybody's saved. But they pray to saints. Mary was a co-redeemer with Jesus. She had as much to do with redemption as he did. They pray every day, Catholics do, to Mary. 
full of grace. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you amongst women. And Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us. Mother of God. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners. They can't even accept salvation. Pray for us sinners down at the hour of our death. And how could they accept salvation? For masses are done, what, 200,000 times a day? Maybe a million times a day now. Mass. You all have heard of the Holy Eucharist or the Holy Communion, which the priest has a little wafer. How big is it? Size of a quarter? A little thing called the host. It's a little wafer. And they go through the mass, this liturgical ritual that they go through and all these kind of different things they do, symbolic of something. They do this because they believe that at the point of offering this thing up there before the starburst, that it actually becomes the living flesh of Jesus Christ. And they crucify him every day, a million times a day. They bring him back, crucify him again every day. And people come forward and they put the little tray under their chin, they used to, and they put that a little host on the lip and they don't want to drop it because it's Christ. They don't get the wine or the blood. The priest got that. I don't know how they'd figure that out, but it's their problem, not mine. And the people are so trained in this through the centuries. The Pope has always had the big thing to say. What I'm saying is this. There are so many things that beguile people. So much of religion that people follow is killing them. Catholicism is one of them. The Mormons, all the rest of them. We haven't gotten to the denominations yet. But all these people are just outwardly pointing you to a saint, go pray to a saint, say 10 Hail Marys in confession booth. It's the priest who can forgive your sins. He sits in the booth on the other side of you and you tell him all your problems and all your sins. He says, you're forgiven. And you go out of there free because you believe that. If you were to say to any and all of it, all of it and any of it, where in this book, do you find any of it? Show me a chapter and a verse where any of all of that is in this book. And they can't because they don't have to. Because a priest under the unction of the Holy Spirit, he stated that such was true. And therefore, because he said it, he's the vicar of Christ. He represents Christ on this earth. And if he said it, it's true. And the people sitting out there who don't read their Bible, who don't even know if it's true or not, they believe it because they're compelled to. If you don't, they say it's a sin. It's a fatal religion. It really is a fatal religion. And it's leading all these people the wrong way. The only true religion is Christianity. But what about in Christianity, all the ways that Christian groups deviate ignore or reject the truth? What about the church that says we don't believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit? We believe that tongues are wrong, that all tongues are false tongues, therefore it's of the devil, they might say. That's dangerous. We don't believe there's any need for all of those gifts. Word of knowledge, you don't need that. You don't need the word of wisdom. We don't need miracles anymore. How about gifts of healings? We don't need that. Do we need gifts of healings? Everybody's well, aren't they? Nobody needs anything. 
a word that I like to use in my vocabulary is asinine. That means ignorant. Or the word I'm trying not to use so much, stupid. That people really have come to believe that the things that God put in the church, he put these gifts in the church. The church is still on the earth. Why doesn't that particular group of church members accept this? Because the man who preaches in the church, he said it is not so. He has taken away from these people, as Jesus said about the Pharisees, you've taken away the key to life. For you will not go in yourself and neither will you let others go in. And your judgment will be worse than theirs. And you are so misleading people in so many churches that when you get through with your proselytes and all your catechisms and all that, when you get through with your people, their mindset is the same as yours and they'll become twice as much a child of hell, Jesus said, as you are. That's fatal. How many of you know Jesus said twice as much a child of hell as you are? It's fatal. It's pretty bad. But that's what Jesus said about people who either casually reject the word or for popularity's sake, we don't do that stuff. And so these people are just viewed with disgust. They don't want that in their church. I don't want tongues that they say in our church. One of the biggest churches in Louisville said, we don't want that here. There have been organizations that says, you're not allowed to be in this group. You're not allowed to be a part of us, a member of us, if you speak in tongues, period. That's fatal. Remember what Jesus did? He said. I'm going to go to prepare a place for you. You remember that? He said, now, when I go to the Father, I'm going to send the promise of the Spirit to you. That's what he said in Luke. I'm going to send the promise of my Father to you. Now, when the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, Peter said, this is that promise that was sent to us. This is the promise of the Father sending the Holy Ghost. How do we know it is? Well, look what's happening. Something is happening that has never happened, not in the Old Testament. These people are speaking in tongues. With stammering lips in another tongue, it was prophesied, well, I speak to these people. And he did. And most people said, these folks are crazy and they're drunk. We don't want anything to do with them. They still say that. But not everybody, not you. Here you are. Let them talk. In this matter of denominations, you got those that not only reject this, you got those that fight over a lot of faith, healing. What did they say about divine healing? They believe in divine sickness, and you know they do. They do believe in divine sickness. They say this, well, we don't believe that God wants to heal everybody. Now, they're basing that not on the word, they're basing it on what they've seen. They haven't seen it happen, therefore it must not be so. Now, if God does not want to heal everybody, then it's obvious he wants some people sick. If he wants some people sick, then it's his will to be sick. So don't tell me that it's his will to heal because if it was his will to heal, everybody would be healed. Well, is it his will to save? Then how's come everybody isn't saved? Faith. Not everybody believes they can be saved. Not everybody believes they can be healed. Faith comes how? By hearing and hearing by the word. If you don't preach it, people won't believe it. And if you deny it, people will deny it. Right. You know, the spirit of the preacher is going to affect the people who listen to him. That's true. 
And so he's got these churches that try to maintain a sort of social dignity in the community. They try to avoid all of these controversial things like Pentecostalism and tongues or the rumors about healing and when it didn't work and what that does in the community and, and all of this kind of stuff. So they change their theology. They tell people it doesn't matter. And people who don't study the Bible, who aren't encouraged to study, in a church that doesn't teach with a nice man preaching, they believe him because he's so nice. Or he's well-educated. Or he writes books. Or he's got a big worldwide TV ministry. How could all of that be wrong? So people just blindly follow that. And they don't pay attention to all these other things. Then there's some who say that if you want to be saved, you go to a meeting, you hold up your hand, or you come forward. And when you do that, you're going to heaven. It doesn't matter what you do after that. As long as you somehow respond to God, that's it. Really don't have to teach you anything. It's not really a big deal how you live, because if you're in, you know, like once saved, always saved. Now, I believe personally, I believe in once saved, always saved. But I believe it from the standpoint of theology, Amen. not from the standpoint of denominational cliches. I believe that only in this life and in this lifetime and in this world, only the elect will ever be saved. Right. Now, the gospel that brings salvation will be declared. Some will receive it. Most won't. But from the foundation of the world, in Ephesians 1, did he from the foundation of the world appoint some to salvation? Amen. Now those we call the elect. Israel was an elect nation, were they not? But not all Israelites were elect. Look how many of them died in the wilderness and didn't make it in the promised land. Even the Lord said that. We don't know who the elect are. I have to believe that I am. But I also believe that Jesus said, whom the Father gives me, I will keep. And no man will ever pluck these out of my hand. Now, I'll stand with the Baptist on that. How many of you remember we taught on the acrostic tulip? Total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, perseverance of the saints, T-U-L-I-P. There are things theological that I have learned in my Christian life. When I was a Sunday school mentality, you know, you just flip around with things. It didn't matter. When I got saved and I started studying, all that I believe has great bearing on my life now because I see the theology behind it. It has a posture. There's a way that it stands in my life. And I can say I believe in eternal security, and I do. I don't believe I'm eternally secure because I said I'm eternally secure because the Bible says you make your calling and your election sure. You be steadfast. You be immovable. You abound in the work of the Lord. Many will be called, but a few will be chosen. I believe God called me. I believe I'm his child. I believe I'm one of his elect. Now, he already knows and I don't know, but I'm going to live as though I am. That's the way we do it. But if some church says, well, no, if you ever got saved, if you didn't earn your salvation because of works, then you don't keep it because of works. That's misleading because it said, I may not be saved by what I did, but I'm not saved by what I don't do. Because if you believe you're saved, you demonstrate it. 
It's called a walk. By this shall all men know you're my disciples. If you go to church, if you love your brothers. Not everybody loves their brothers. They got their arms folded talking about eternal security, but they don't love anybody. They love themselves. They fight, fuss, criticize, find fault, but they're going to heaven. No, they're not. Somebody has misinformed you, has warped your theological understanding, and you're missing it. If you believe you're saved, you are there because God himself saved you, not because you did something, but because he chose to save you. Jesus did all the doing that needed to be done, and he brought you to him. Now, if he is Lord of your life, you live in honor of him. This is still in the Bible. If a man loves me, he will do what? And he that saith, I know him, in 1 John 2, he that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. God is truth. If the truth is not in him, then God isn't in him. He may be religious, but he's deceived. He's misled. And at the end of his journey, the consequences of his dead religion is death. Now we say, boy, I feel bad about that. Well, then preach. Declare boldly to all these people you know are lost. If you knew tonight, if you knew the person you're sitting beside, if you knew the person you're sitting beside was going to die tomorrow and they're not saved tonight, would you preach to them tonight? If you knew somebody was going to die Saturday and you knew they weren't right with God and you knew that, would you preach to them? Or would you don't want to hurt their feelings before they go to hell? Would you just sort of, well, I, don't want to, you know, I don't want to mess with your mind, but man, you're lost. <laughs> you know what you would do? You would bear down. I asked my brother when he was dying in a hospital room in Moorhead. I said, there's something I have got to ask you. I've got to know this. I want to know if you're ready to go meet the Lord. I want to know if you're right with God. Because if you're not, I want to help you. And he said, brother, he said, I know God loves me. That's not the answer. But I took that as an answer because I didn't want to bear down. And I can almost hate myself for not doing that. Eternity is just a week away from this man's life. Somebody who's had probably a greater influence on your moral childhood than anybody else could ever have. He's about a week from death. And you know something's not right. And you back off. And he dies. What do we do with that? Are we that nice? You see somebody lost in church on Sunday morning, and they're really involved in some death-dealing thing. Do we avoid saying anything because we don't want to hurt their feelings? They're going to die. Do we just leave them alone? Do we or not? I'm not the only preacher in here. You're all little preachers. You got children, don't you? You can preach to them too. Christianity, by definition, is following the Lord. Christianity is loyalty and obedience to Christ. We ought to obey God, Peter said. It's putting your hands to the plow that is given you, not what you want, but it's putting your hands to the plow that is given unto you, and you follow it. And you follow it according to this word. And the Bible says, whoever is speaking, whoever they are, if they speak not according to this word, 
They have no light. Look over a couple books to write to Jeremiah. Look at chapter 5, verse 30. A desolate, horrible, appalling thing has happened. Listen how God describes what I'm about to read. A horrible, desperate, and appalling thing has been committed in the land. What is this terrible, God would call terrible and desolate? He said, the prophets prophesy falsely. Why would they do that? I want you to think about that. Why would they prophesy falsely? For gain, for approval, for popularity. The prophets prophesy falsely and the priests bear rule by their own means and my people what? They love it because it's easy. It costs you nothing to follow a man. But what's the end of the verse say? Death is coming. What does it say? But what? What will you do in the end? What does that mean? What do you do the day that the knock comes on your spiritual door? It's an angel. He's got a job. He comes to get you. Call the angel of death. He comes. Then what happens? Like a poem I've got, it ends by saying an old man who has rejected God his whole life and now he has no desire to do anything about it, but he's aware of his situation. He said, I've wasted a lifetime in sin, he cried, and now I'm going to die. No hope, no nothing. He said, the spirit is gone. I'm dead. See, I don't want that to happen to you. Do you want that to happen to anybody you love? Well, you not only pray with that, you know, oh God, in the name of Jesus, if you care, if you really care about somebody's spiritual life, you pray because this is the end of that life. It's death. It's rejection. But people are taught to reject God today. Preachers, let me tell you what he says about preachers. Look over in Jeremiah 23. Whoo-wee, this is tough. Jeremiah chapter 23. Look at what he said in verse 16. Thus saith the Lord, hearken not unto all these preachers in the United States of whatever denomination they are, whatever independent group they are. Hearken not unto the words of the prophets that prophesy unto you. What do they do to you? They make you vain. You know what vain means? They, they make you useless. They make you of no value to God. Your thinking, your mindset is warped. It's mingled with the world and its systems. It's a spot and a wrinkle in your life. It's called corruption. You're spotted. They speak a vision of their own heart and not out of the mouth of the Lord. Verse 18, for who had stood in the counsel of the Lord? Let me ask you a question. Let me stop a minute. See, this is the preachy part of me. This is how I think when I study. Who does the Lord counsel? He said, you've not stood in the counsel of the Lord. Who does the Lord counsel? I mean, how do you know he counsels you? That is, how do you know that he sends to you his words and his directions in life and his favor and his approval and his grace? How do you know that's coming to you? How do you know? Because everything God does to guide you is a part of his counsel. It's Psalm 32, 8. I will instruct thee and teach thee the way thou shalt go. I will counsel you with my eye. Or as another version says, I will guide you with my eyes upon you. Who? Whoever he counsels. You think about it. Verse 18, who has stood? 
obviously it's available. So he said, well, then who has stood in the counsel of the Lord and perceived and heard his word? Who hath marked his word and heard it? Verse 22, he said, if they had stood in my counsel and had caused, C-A-U-S-E-D, if they had caused my people to hear my words, not theirs, then they should have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their doings. Do you believe that? So let me say this to you. Don't get your feathers ruffled if God speaks sternly to us. You can dismiss my opinions, my ideas. But when you get to this word, whether you're reading it privately or whether it's being quoted in the service, it's the word of God. That's what he uses to speak to your heart. And when he speaks to your heart, he is counseling you. So who does he counsel? Those who listen. Those who listen. God has something to say. Are you willing to listen? Seek and you shall find. Knock. It'll be opened. Ask. He'll give it to you. If you ask for bread, he won't give you a stone. That's not the way God is. He loves you. He cares about you, but he has a way he wants you to believe. The church is a teaching center. Turn to 1 Timothy. We're here as a church, as a body of believers. We're not here to ascertain what Brother Hamilton says so we can follow that. But we are here believing that God will give us a word. If there's an anointing on this message, then God will cause you to hear his words. Maybe not like I said it, but you will know what he wants you to do. He will make you hear his word spiritually. Now, notice, this is what we do then. 1 Timothy 1, verse 10. Talks about whoremongers or those that defile themselves with mankind or men stealers for liars, perjured persons. And if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, you've got to teach people. You explain to people why we don't do that. Chapter 4, verse 6. To the preacher here, if you put the brethren in remembrance of these things, you shall be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, teaching. Verse 13, till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. That's teaching. This is what we're supposed to do here. Verse 16, take heed unto yourself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them. Now listen to this. For in doing this, you shall both save yourself and who else? Listen to me when I say that. It is important who you listen to. And that's not a trumpet I'm blowing. I'm just saying what he said. It is important who you listen to. He puts it together here. He talks about doctrine, and for doctrine to be sent in its purest form, you've got to be committed to receiving it in its purest form. And then you've got to take it, and you've got to give it the way he gave it. It doesn't mean everybody wants it, but you give it because that's what you're called to do. But everybody who will receive it will be saved. Now, what else do we want besides that? I'd rather be saved in heaven than to own all of Shelby County. I'll tell you what. I'd rather be saved than have five new Lexus automobiles and a trip to Hawaii. I've been there. Now, if we get to heaven, whew, 
we've reached it. We've reached the best that God has for us. Chapter 5, verse 17, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and what? And teaching. Chapter 6, verse 3, If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to what? It's the mission of the church to make holy people. They're called saints. That's what we do. Second Timothy, chapter 3, verse 10. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, character, patience, and so forth. Verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for what? If we base our beliefs, our doctrine, on anything besides the Bible, they're wrong. Somebody might say, are you really that narrow? I am so narrow. I hope I'm so narrow that I don't even touch the sides of the narrow gate when I go through. <laughs> hope I can get in the narrow gate and just kind of do this here and still make it. <laughs> I like to be pretty narrow, to tell you the truth. Well, people think you're just le People think smank and wank and bank. Let them do it all. Look again in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Preach the word. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. Now that's fun. <laughs> that's, that's a good meeting, isn't it? Reprove and rebuke and exhort with all longsuffering and what? That old boring teaching. Doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound Doctrine. We're talking about the mission of the church. Titus chapter 1, verse 9. Holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convince the gainsayers. And he talks about many unruly and vain talkers have gone out. These are the ones who are corrupting the church. Chapter 2, verse 1. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. Verse 7. In all things showing thyself a pattern of good works in doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, and insincerity. That's what you do. You live it. In all things, in your doctrine, show yourself a pattern of living this life. Let no man be able to point his finger at you and accuse you of being a hypocrite. Keep yourself clean. Keep yourself pure. And if you'll just allow me one more time, go to Romans chapter 16 and verse 17. Mark them which cause divisions among you. Why is that? Contrary to what? Let me ask you something. Does your Bible say to you, does it say to us tonight, I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions. Does it say that? Yes. Divisions and offenses contrary to sound doctrine. Sometimes when you are right, and people don't want you to be right, you have offenses. But he specifically says, offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned. And what does he say to do with them? Avoid them. Well, where's the love in that? Where's your love? If you avoid somebody, where's your love? How can you call yourself a Christian and be so unloving as to reject people because they're not like you? This is the way the world's going to come to you. I don't reject people because they're not like me. These are troublemakers. They're teaching things they ought not. They're corrupting the people like those prophets in Jeremiah 23. They're misleading people. 
The Bible says, come out from among them and be separate and quit touching unclean things. Withdraw yourselves from those who walk disorderly. Turn away from doctrines that are designed to water down the Christian faith. Quit seeking comfort and happiness in this life. Seek the truth. God will grant you with the truth. That thing was just called hope and peace. I want to end with it in Ephesians 5. You're good. Stay with me. Go one more verse. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 6. Let no man deceive you, me or anybody else. Let no man deceive you with vain words. Now, I had to skip a whole bunch of things that had to do with vain words. There is so much in the New Testament about bad people, ravening wolves, deceivers, misleading people. I mean, it's just full of it, warnings against it. But here in finality, here's what the Lord says in verse 6, Ephesians 5. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Therefore, what? Don't be partakers with them. Amen. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray that with our ears we hear the truth, and with our hearts we seek the truth, and with our minds we perceive it. Heavenly Father, deliver us from just being nominal or casual or just religious. Give us a heart, all of us, mothers, fathers, grandparents, children, those that are able to hear and understand. Give us a heart to want the truth. For that's what you said you would use to deliver all of us from bondage. You shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. We pray tonight that the spirit of truth, who has been sent from heaven, the promise of the Father, that he may find a lodging place in our heart to exalt Jesus Christ in his ways, that we may not hear those deadly words spoken to us in the last days of our life, to depart from me, you workers of iniquity, but that we would hear you say to us, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I ask you to do that in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.